0: Today on the Marshall Pruitt Podcast, we have your week in sports cars, finish it up, make up, get all the ones we didn't get to because we had a heck of a bunch of them, episode. Is that the formal title, Graham Goodwin? I'm not totally sure.
1: It's a hell of an acronym if it is.
0: <laughs> Let's not put that on a t-shirt because I probably couldn't repeat it the same way twice. I am Marshall Pruitt. That is our man, Graham Goodwin. He of DailySportsCar.com fame also a face or voice you've likely heard if you have ingested World Endurance Championship European Le Mans Series, Asian Le Mans Series, and Lord knows what else, through television, through radio, through semaphores. I'm Marshall Pruitt. I tend to cover uh, sporty cars over here in America for good old Racer Magazine and also Road and Track. This is our weekly show where we ask you to send in a whole lot of questions about Pretty much whatever you want. I don't think we've ever said no to a specific type of racing in the sports car world when it comes to listener questions, Graham. We also, which is the purpose for this show being recorded starting at 1030 in the morning on a Sunday here, July 5th. Uh, Yesterday, we celebrated kicking your butts, by the way, Graham. Uh, Sometimes you don't get all your questions and we ask you to send them in again. And sometimes you do. And we appreciate that. And on the rare occasion... We get so many questions. There's no way we're going to get to them all and have you send in them once again. So we decided, you know what, let's knock out as many as we can in the first show of the week and then try and wrap up the second by getting to all that we, quote, missed or didn't have time for. So since you're the official selector of where we start in our four categories, Graham, where are we going to kick off this makeup, whatever the heck I just called it show?
1: Well, we're going to kick off with the two series-based categories, MP. But remember, there is another show to come uh, with any issues arising from Rick Aslam's Elm Zacco and uh, the IMSA side of things for this week. This is simply a bit of housekeeping to clear up the things we didn't get to from last week's show. We promise you we did it. And because we're good guys, that's exactly what we're going to do. So let's kick off with IMSA and let's kick off with Robin Crickman. Robin says he's not sure which rock he's been under, us neither Robin, but he's just noticed the newly released IMSA schedule has a series racing at Sebring in mid-July. Daytime temperatures at that time of year average in the 90s Fahrenheit. What provisions are the series and the teams making for men, women, and machines to deal with the heat? MP, what say you?
0: I have heard nothing in terms of special things being done. If there's a saving grace, a saving something, it's that it's not 12 hours in the (laughs) middle of July. That, I think we would be talking about some form of revolt. Uh, So, yeah, it would truly be the Paul Revere 12 hours of Sebring. But no, I believe this is just going to be a case where teams are going to need to be very... Proactive in their driver rotations. So, in a normal scenario where we would have two drivers for a two hour and 40 minute race, one driver does could be half, could be a little bit less. I realize that we have both pro and pro M classes with different time requirements uh, for each driver in order to score points. But I think what we're going to see, provided the temperatures are as nasty as they might be, should be is teams going to, instead of splitting the driver rotation two hours and 40 minutes, two drivers, significant majority placed on, say, the pro in the pro-am classes. I think we might see a rotation where uh, we have drivers doing two rot a single driver doing two rotations, and the other one doing one, possibly, Uh, trying to split this up into three, if necessary. I know that that tactically might not be uh, something that every team would be fond of, Graham. But I do believe that just in the interest of health and safety, uh, in the interest of driver survival, that this might be something that gets pressed into service. I'll tell you this. Yesterday was an IndyCar race at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway with the new aero screens and so these cars do have open tops in the cockpit but the air is very stagnant inside and Oliver Askew young American driver had a crash and talked about being both dizzy and a little bit I'm not I don't know if it was concussed but dizzy and lightheaded and he attached it to the 120 plus degree temperatures he was facing in the cockpit, and he only only did, I'm guessing, 45 minutes of the hour and a half or so race. So, no, we're talking a different form of racing, but still we're talking about cockpit temperatures probably not too far from that, depending on the vehicle uh, at Sebring. And if we have a young and super fit hyper training, uh, hyper endurance cycling kid like an Oliver Askew really getting worked that bad there and we'll have to see what it's like but I wouldn't be surprised Graham if we have teams looking at keeping their drivers as fresh as possible by asking them to actually do shorter stints in the race
1: yeah I mean it's not that long ago we didn't used to have those regulations did we for the cockpit temperature uh, side of things and you know we have seen some some drama certainly in Europe on very, very warm days when maybe those cockpits, whether it's a cool suit or a cockpit uh, air, air cooling system has failed and teams having to fix them. Let's hope we don't get the interruption uh, there at Sebring for any of the any of the teams there. Let's move on. Jacob Bain says, is Hardpoint Racing's GTD entry with the Audi for the Daytona 240 a one-off that emerged because the Rick Ware Racing effort is a no-show or are there plans to keep that programme going? It's a sprint car thing, isn't it?
0: I believe so. Yeah, everything that I'm aware of, Jacob, says that they will indeed show up for the Sprint Cup rounds. Uh, so, no, I don't don't believe it's anything directly related to Rick Ware being in or out. Uh, I would say it's just more a case of the team deciding to step up. And uh, Rob Ferriel, yep. the uh, team principal behind this, co-driver with Spencer Pompelli, also a person who I don't know him. Uh, other than just the conversations we've had on the phone, I haven't been fortunate to spend time in his direct presence, Graham. I can tell you I've been very impressed with Rob's approach to racing as someone who is very new to it by kicking off a initiative, uh, a charity program to try and help put money in the pockets of pit crew members from IMSA affected by the COVID-19 shutdown. Uh, they were handing out grants, uh, I believe more than $10,000 uh for overall were handed out here uh not too long ago so someone who's come in and just tried to be a good citizen and do good things and so then when you add hey we love racing our gt4 spec audi r8 in the michelin pilot challenge series but hey let's now go do imsa gtd as well quite fond of what they've done so far just from again being a very strong member of the paddock in a very short amount of time and also thinking bigger than themselves by trying to look after mechanics not their own just their own but actually throughout the paddock uh, to try and help knowing how hard things have been financially for a lot of folks to get through the last couple of months so glad to hear that they're doing more glad to know that they're meant to do graham the sprint cup but also glad to see that we have someone being very active from a charitable standpoint
1: yeah, they're the kind of things that need to be remembered as we move forward in what's going to be a difficult period for everybody, aren't they, when people step up and do the things they don't have to do in the interest of others. Andrew Backer says, whether or not SCG, that's Kaderia Cameron Glickenhaus, was offered to race at IMSA after paying the marketing fee or not. Is it too harsh to say? His comments, these are the comments that Jim Glickenhaus is disappointed is not going to be allowed to race his car at the Rolex 24 Hours. Uh, to say these comments have come across as entitled to an IMSA program. I'd love to see him, but unlike when the ACO announced, uh, it says DPI, but that's the LMDH programs, would be eligible at Le Mans, IMSA's made no such suggestions about Le Mans hypercar, certainly not back when Jim launched his program.
0: Pretty tangled thing here in a short amount of time, isn't it, Andrew? Where we've seen Jim whose approach to the sport is one that I enjoy. I don't know if everybody enjoys it, but I enjoy it. He's a rabble rouser. He is a a disruptor, (laughs) and I love disruptors. He's someone who, I would say, part of the brand, the branding of what SCG, Scuderia Cameron Glickenhaus, happens to do, is not only taking the fight to bigger brands, but rattling their sabers really hard about... Taking it to the bigger brands, if we think about their win at the Baja, right with their Baja boot um uh, that they made, which is you know a very modern version of Steve McQueen's special uh vehicle that he made for his off road racing, I mean they rightfully so uh really truly uh let the world know that they beat Ford, they beat the living heck out of Ford and Ford's new Bronco, I think is what they were branding it as and just beat the poop out of him say hello to the crow outside again i'm glad it could show up for another episode um beat the heck out of the ford motor company huge thing true all true nothing to take away from that other than well there are only two cars in the class and the ford happened to fail and the boot did not and so was it a win 100 percent. does it diminish anything not at all are we talking about we beat Ford and five or ten other vehicles to earn this prestigious class victory? Again, it's in the the nuance, which, as a species, we don't seem to do a lot of these days, Andrew or Graham. Um, I mean, heck, I've told this story before. I will tar- tell it again in 30 seconds or less. I am also a race winner. I have won a open-wheel race here in the San Francisco Bay Area, the San Francisco Region Sports Car Club of America, I am a race winner. I have the flag uh, furled up, tucked somewhere in a closet. That's because in the need to do one more race to complete my rookie license, I entered a class that was a catch-all class. And there were only two of us in that class. And the woman racing the Formula Atlantic, compared to my 1980. Uh, tiga formula ford um she's awesome and she was about a thousand seconds per lap faster than i at sears point and i was just in the class to finish my rookie requirement and she broke and so pulling in uh, along with all the other cars uh onto pit lane after the race i was directed to go right when i thought i should go left back into the paddock to go back and load up and go home job done and no, they told me to go down and drive down the end of pit lane and pick up my checkered flag and do a lap, uh, you know, of honor, having won my class. And I'm sitting here going, this is stupid. And so I did. I, I don't even know if I held it. I Anyways, I did the lap, came in, and then promptly went over to Nancy James and to give her the flag, like, look, I don't deserve this. Come on. And she said, no, you won the race. You know, I didn't. And I'm just still blows me away. And she was so gracious, but like I looked up to her so much. She was amazing. But point being two cars in the race, one broke Marshall Jefferson Pruitt. The second is in the good old SCCA history books as a race winner. Uh, so tell me the, tell me the pictures. I don't, uh, there are somewhere, maybe, I know I don't have any because obviously I'm the photographer guy and, I, and in 1990 or 91, I'd get to figure out how to photograph myself while racing, but um, yeah, Selfie so stick. I realize it took more than, yeah, sorry, that took more than 30 seconds, but anyway, so I'm not diminishing anything here with uh, Jim and the boot, but again, the point being, so coming back from that, that's their brand. You know, we are going to just rattle those sabers, and I would say that there has been a lot of that in regard to IMSA. Has all of it been fair? Absolutely not. Uh, If you want to look at being treated equally, and this is more, Graham, along the lines of the SCG004, right, Mm GTD-ish vehicle, Um, I know that SCG has been offered the ability to compete in IMSA, by paying the same marketing fee as everyone else, and they have declined, so that's not being critical of Jim as well I don't know if I would I don't know if they sell enough cars to warrant that expenditure. It's the same thing we've heard from Bentley and this and that and, you know many other small volume manufacturers um, but yeah the the other thing just the quick overarching thing here, Andrew, and I know many of our listeners are aware of this Graham. There's a fundamental difference in philosophy between ACO and WEC with Hypercar. Going into that formula, creating that formula, there was a mindset and an openness to crazy low-volume manufacturers. You might make five cars a year. Great. You know, uh, if you want to come here and do this, we'd love to have you. IMSA has not taken that approach. IMSA has stuck to really what they have done with uh, their DPI formula with LMDH saying, nah, we're thinking big manufacturers. You know, you need to make thousands a year minimum before you can come and play with this next generation formula. Just same as right now. And where things get a little bit weird, Graham and Andrew, and I don't have the full understanding as to why we know that for, this WEC imsa crossover and convergence type thing with prototypes coming up here there is meant to be a you can bring yours here and we'll bring your ours there and we'll let one another play in each other's backyards and were toyota to show up with their hypercar i don't know if imsa would say no but some of the truly small low volume ones there's some sort of sticking point there in terms of the come into our backyard thing. That doesn't seem to really cotton on to letting the Glicken houses of the world who may be competing full time in whack with an SCG double Oh seven to bring that car to kind of guest in play in IMSA. So why the big one and not the small one? I guess we could understand it. If we look at the DPI, Uh, format right now all major manufacturers but if you're doing this kind of guest thing come on over and play there is an oddity here of well why would you let the big one but not the small one if we're just talking one-off two-off guest appearances i don't know um i don't fully grasp that one and it makes me wonder to close here if we do need to have a single class that is converged come 2022 or 23 or whenever the heck this ends up happening, where it might be LMDH and it might be LMH coming together. Do we need to have them in the same class? Uh, Should they have their own classes uh, when they play together? Again, I don't know, just throwing this out, because I'll tell you, if there's only one or two hypercars coming over for, say, Daytona Graham or Sebring... Mm -hmm. I don't know. We'll have to see how they might mingle, but uh, it just makes me think that uh, this concept might not be playing out the way it was intended. So, confusing, Andrew. It it continues to be confusing.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of it is going to come down to the the sheer numbers that eventually do show up. Uh, You know, we know broadly what is planned for Le Mans it's A little early yet to get to that point with LMTH, but that will start to crystallize fairly quickly. Uh, But who knows? Things can change again depending on just how well and how quickly those numbers emerge. Remember, the one thing that isn't known yet is exactly when the button is going to be pressed on LMDH. One final question comes from Ryan Terpstra. He puts it in the IMSA category, but frankly, this is a question that could just as easily be applied across the board. Um, uh, Cutting out some of the other bits and pieces in here from Ryan, it basically is a saying, He's quite surprised IMSA is to race now, in fact, has now raced. Asks, Are they racing because they have to to survive?
0: Yes. I am kind of sort of vaguely aware that the desire to go racing in the midst of this pandemic and with Florida just popping off like mad with new cases every day. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, let's just say I did not hear a uniform. Yeah, we can't wait to go back. And no matter what, yeah, coronavirus kiss our butt. I think that there's absolutely some reticence on the series side. And also among some teams, not as many as I thought I might've heard from, but there is a true business need to do this. And knowing how slim the profits and, or, margins or you name it there's just a lot of things in how business gets done in the paddock who pays for what uh who's expecting what i'd say the the margin of of willingness to wait had really reached its end so yeah i would say more than anything this was an absolute recognition ryan that teams needed to get back to work Teams needed to give their paying drivers a chance to pay, uh, needed to satisfy paying drivers, sponsors. Um, Business is certainly something that was felt needed to get done. Um, I would say that like IndyCar, uh, like NASCAR as well, looking at how we have this steep rise in cases of late, I know that I hear from a number of folks have heard from a number of folks just within the, a matter of days, Graham, where confidence that the full calendars that have been laid out to get in X amount of races in whichever series I just mentioned through the end of the year, there's decreasing confidence that that is going to take place simply due to the rate of the coronavirus virus, uh, picking back up here again. So, maybe would use that ryan as a little bit of a modifier to things too not everybody's exactly sure that they're going to get in the pick the number 10 12 13 14 whatever amount of races that are on the respective schedules for whatever major racing series not a lot of confidence that all those races are going to get done so better get them in now while you can whether the timing is right or not in the location and the virus itself kicking off and danger being higher and where one race is held than the other, uh, cannot dismiss that whatsoever. Final thing to say here, and I think this closes out IMSA as well, this is a form of sport based on risk, acknowledgement, based on known dangers, based on type A personalities, testosterone estrogen whatever it is that gets your blood up and says i'm going to go do a crazy dangerous thing that thrills me and also by chance entertains others not a surprise that racing is really the first major sport to get back to business and all while knowing the risks but all while doing the thing that we have done in racing for more than a hundred years and that is put that fear thing in the back of your head so it isn't right in front of your eyes scaring the heck out of you because otherwise you could not perform your job if you let that happen. So that's not an excuse. It's just saying that this is actually the form of major sports that is perfect for ignoring <laughs> serious concerns and getting back to self Uh, enjoyment and entertainment for the masses. So, uh, will this be looked upon in retrospect as a really smart thing? I don't know. We'll find out. Uh, will we be laughed at or ridiculed for being this, the form of sport that just, again, laughs in the face of danger? We'll find out. Sorry, was that a little bit down to close IMSA? Absolutely. I think it was. Where are we going, though, Graham Goodwin?
1: We're going to go to Weck, Aslam, and Echo, uh, which will close out these series-based questions before we come thundering in to Herr General and to fun.
0: Fun! I love that. All right, we're going to kick it off here. And I did a bad job of trimming the ones that we did uh, a few <laughs> days ago. Uh, so you know what? I also failed to mention that, uh, I've recently applied my unpolished turd approach, uh, that I use on the solo week in IndyCar listener Q and a, where I just leave in all the mistakes and errors. And I, we haven't really had any so far Graham, I think, but, um, I might be reading some that we've already done. So you're going to have to tell me if that's the case and we might actually repeat oh, one. Enough. So, uh, let's see. Did we do the one about graphics from Daniel Summerskill? I think we did. Uh, uh, yes. Okay. Uh, how about Dinesh's question? Uh, did we? I don't know if we got to that one. Uh,
1: Dinesh, given the condensed schedule for Le Mans this year, that one.
0: Yeah, yeah, we've not done that one. We have not. Okay. Well, dang it, that's where we're starting. Dinesh, <laughs> Ramasar, here we go. Given the condensed schedule for Le Mans this year, oh, hold on, got to park and stop, Graham. You're reading the question as I. We got we have an official foul. You see the spelling of Le Mans. Should Can should I explain this? this? I feel like I, I give the I pull out the the yes. yellow card or red card too often. Maybe you're gonna have to be the the uh, the good cop bad cop here on the weekend sports cars. No,
1: no, no, this this one's fine. This one's fine. It could be a could be a kind of. It has to be said. i have yet to find any kind of. Um, word processing program that recognises Le Mans and uh doesn't try to auto correct it. Well uh it's so it's, we'll give the, give that that it's it's second only in my kind of orbit here to Donington Park with a double N as the third and fourth letters. It's not a double N.
0: Well it's a completely different wrong, that, but, that, but that's a misspelling of a word. This is making yes. up of a word that doesn't exist, and Dinesh, we're, we're not really seriously tearing into you here, but uh, if we're talking hashtag me personally pet peeves, uh leman as one word, lowercase as well, lowercase L, lowercase M, Lamans. Now, granted, you've spelled it the way I intentionally mispronunciate it sometimes, so I don't know, you might be taking the piss on me here, and if so, you get a massive thumbs up from an American right now, so uh, Dinesh... <laughs> I'll just start reading this again, but, you know, i got to park the thing when I see a Le Mans um, as it is. Uh, Given the condensed schedule for Le Mans this year, is Toyota still planning on doing an unrestricted run of the TS050? Hashtag me personally. I would wait until the 2021 running of Le Mans to do the unrestricted run. It'd be a great way to send off the amazingness that was LMP1 with fans in attendance to witness it and usher in, The Le Mans hypercar era. Well, so that's the question posed to you from Dinesh Graham. I'm going to throw in a quick little modifier to this that I'd love to get your thoughts on. Of course. So, brilliant question, brilliant idea, Dinesh. If we would do that with the TS050 in full, unrestricted, insane, max everything at Le Mans, should we also invite Audi and porsche to do the same with their last iterations of their cars that being r18 mm-hmm. and 919 and just because it's a semi-frequent topic on our show should we, and earmuffs if you don't like curse words should we also invite the shit show nissan lma lmr gt lm1 lm nismo r1 lm gt nismo R M L N M to maybe try and get it right for the first time. Um, Should we invite all of the crazy phasing out LMP one hybrid cars to do an unrestricted blast go for outright lap time record there in the modern era as a way to close out the formula and entertain fans at 2021, 24 hours of Le Mans
1: uh the answer is it'd be lovely but they won't do it uh this but first and foremost to answer your question no it won't happen dinesh and that's not because of the uh the condensed schedule toyota had already said that they will not be doing their uh toyota evo i think that is a knock-on effect of the budgetary constraints that that's been hit so that's the bad news in answer to your question. I'd love to see something like that as an outright lap record attempt from uh, all comers for 2023. But I can give you a riff, which, by the way, is the centenary race. Uh, but I can give you one reason and one reason only why it's unlikely to happen. And that's because I can't see any way that the ACO will want their current iteration of top class prototypes in any way outshone by a previous iteration. I don't think they're going to want to show that off at all. Uh, So I think unless TOTA change their minds and decide that whether or not it be 2021 or 22, whatever, that they're going to go with an EVO version of, let's not forget the fastest uh, LMP prototype that there ever has been over a full lap time, um, then I think it'll be gone and done at the point at which the chequered flag flies at Bahrain in December.
0: There we go. Let's, where are we moving next? Malcolm Scopes. I don't know if we got to this one, did we? feels like we might have. Um, I, I, it's not on my list, so we did. Okay. Well, sorry, Malcolm. I was fighting for you here. I was trying <laughs> to get you in, but uh, that old grumpy bastard said no. I'll tell you what you've got.
1: You've got, a Jake, you've got a Jacob Bain one there. Uh, I do,
0: the but I still want to spend a moment with Malcolm just so he fully realizes yep. which host loves him the most, right? <laughs> I mean, You should hear the nasty things Graham says about you. Oh, yeah, Malcolm, I mean, I am fighting for your good honor and your good name, yep. but this guy here, he is truly a terrible human being. Nonetheless, unsuccessful in getting your question in two shows in a row, so... Whatever. I guess we'll go to Jacob Bame. <sighs> All right, Jacob. Love you here. Just downplaying you a little bit. Because why not? I'm a little punchy. Not drunk, just punchy. Question connected to the previous one. Okay. I don't know what the previous no, one was. was no. <laughs> whose was that? Who Whose question? Okay. Malcolm? Was it maybe? Yeah, It's almost like he doesn't exist in Graham's world. Uh, Jacob says, enter Europol has just hired Matevos Asakian for their number 34 European Le Mans series and Le Mans effort. This is already the most obscure sentence ever submitted to the weekend sports cars. But of course, it came from you, Jacob. So thank you. Jacob asks, do you know if Asakian will be at all able to race in the ELMS season opener in mid-July? If not, does the team have a replacement driver? Also, why did Matthias Bechet, Bech, Bechet, Bech, Bech, Besh? I, I try to say Bechet because you get me on Besh and it, it, I start to turn that E into an I and then a uh, C-T-H and T-C-H and it gets bad. Uh, why did Matthias Bech leave the team? So in one, let me just do the word count here. Jacob, congratulations. In 61 words, you have sent in the most obscure question I can recall in a really, really long time. And right. although, right. again, Graham, just filled with hate for you, I love you. This is great. This is, And I bet you could go even farther. Yep. So don't yep. let this be a limit.
1: <laughs> right. So answer the first part. Of the, tell you what, let's answer the Matthias Bech thing first. Um, simply Matthias has moved on. Uh, there would appear to be a, a commercial aspect to um, Matevos Ezakian's arrival at uh, Inter Europol. As you will have seen since you submitted the question, it will now be one and not two LMP2 cars from Inter Europol. And the same for LMP3. So two of their four-car entry for LMS is gone. That is directly related to the COVID-19 crisis. Uh, as for whether or not Matevos will make it, well, he's one of three Russian drivers we're due to have in LMP2. This is all linked in, of course, travel restrictions. Add into that the pretty large number, I think it's seven, uh, U.S., Canadian or Mexican drivers that we are due to have at Paul Ricard. That's in the ELMS alone. Forget for a moment the Michelin Amon Cup. And there's a whole lot of we don't know yet. I can tell you that I've been in conversation with a number of teams who are actively looking for a plan B, should they not be able to get their principal drivers for this campaign over for uh, the uh, ELMS race. Uh, we, we are testing for ELMS, by the way, in about 10 days' time uh, at Port Ricard. And then uh, in two weekends' time is when we've got the season opener. Same will apply, of course, in September, albeit with a bit more time to get heads around, you know, who's doing a good job and who's doing a bad job of uh, looking after the COVID-19 um, crisis. I can tell you one a good bit of news was this week with the um, announcement, That's a variety of uh, restrictions on re-entry or entry into the UK. means that some of the issues that would have affected a lot of teams and my team, for that matter, um, have now gone away. Um, But it certainly has reinforced the fact there appear to be significant concerns at the moment across the EU and the UK about the current situation in the United States with COVID-19. And I do think that is giving reasons for concern uh, for a number of the teams in the ELMS. We'll think ELMS. I think we have to get a little bit longer before we start to say there's trouble ahead for the Le Mans 24 hours. As for Matthias, oddly enough, just before I uh, linked in with Marshall to um, to record this show, I was typing Matthias Besch's name uh, into Delhi Sports Cart because uh, he will be a team owner this year not in the European Le Mans series and not in the Michelin Le Mans Cup, but in the new for 2020 Ligier European series. This is a brand new uh, part of the support um, package for LMS featuring two, one make Ligier cars, not, two cars on the grid but two different types of car um one of which is the js2r launched last year it's a kind of gt one make racer 3.7 litre v6 ford engine and the other one is the prototype based lige jsp4 the little brother or little sister of the LMP3 car, same chassis, uh, groovy little bit of bodywork, and exactly the same Ford engine this time in the back. So he will be, uh, uh the team owner and manager of a, uh, single car effort at the moment where he is, uh, collaborating with none other than Ivan Muller, uh, and the M racing concern. So we will still have Matt around the paddock and I hope we see him back behind the wheel soon.
0: There we go. uh, Obscure question,
1: hopefully a full answer.
0: Oh, yes, but you can go much deeper, Jacob. So come on, man. uh Speaking of <laughs> deeper, where do we go next? Graham. Well, good one.
1: Oddly enough, I mean, Jacob Bame uh, was asking a further question on that one with, about the EU members reportedly set to open. It's the same sort of uh, point here. We. D- realistically I think this is going to be a question we're going to be getting week in week out as we roll forward it is going to be a matter of what can you cover off with declarations and paperwork so I've actually now been sent the declarations that we require to send the daily sports car crew to the European Le Mans series at Paul Ricard they are extensive declarations that need to be made I'm aware that LMEM who is the organisation uh, that looks after the WEC and European Le Mans series, have been actively attempting to work with uh, the border control and public health agencies to try to get any kind of uh, clearance they possibly can to maximise the chances of people getting in to mainland Europe from North America with, you know, a certification of the uh process, their health status, testing status, uh, the fact that they are necessary for the business, etc., etc. I don't think we're going to know the answers to those questions, Jacob, until they either turn up or they don't at the track itself. And I think that's going to be an ongoing issue for quite some time to come. My guess is months at the very least.
0: You are the man who officially chooses where we go next. I know – Because I can read your mind. You said we're going to fun. (laughs) So since I can read your mind and know exactly where you wanted to go, I'm going to continue foisting questions your direction. I'm going to start at the bottom, and I'm going to challenge us, because there is a heck of a bunch of fun and Heggeneral, to answer these as quickly as possible. Something we've never achieved before in the show, but we're going to try it. We are, where are we at time-wise? Yeah, we're a little bit past 35-ish minutes. We have maybe about an hour left, if not less, to get everything in. So why don't we start off with Nick Dovniak, DTM, Aussie Supercars, or Japanese Super GT, Graham. Which was or is the best Continental Super Touring series?
1: I think that's a, a Super Touring series. Uh, or, or not as in Super Touring, but Super Touring Cars
0: Something like that.
1: They've all had their, their moments in the sun, haven't they? But, but, yeah, I'm a big fan of Super GT. I think it's always been pretty awesome. Um, it, the, happily with you know, video streaming and some of the coverage we're now getting, including from Arjo Connell on uh, delhi Sports Car, it's a bit more accessible than it ever has been before. Um, they've all been awesome. For me, I've, I've been, I'll be honest with you, more a kind of super gt and aussie v8s than dtm for most of my time i'm gonna say super gt but put the bathurst 1000 on live or tape delay on a saturday afternoon and you will find me sitting there with a tray of snacks watching it simple as that
0: that'd be supercars, nick uh scott christie if there was a car show where a country could only bring one car to represent them what would each country bring Scott says, hashtag me personally. His choices would be a McLaren F1 for Britain, Porsche 919 mm-hmm. for Germany, Mazda 787B for Japan, and a Ford GT40 Mark. I don't know my name as well. I think that's four. Who knows? Whatever four, number. Uh, for for yeah. the USA. So, okay. Well, I'll take this one for Britain. Yep. I will actually go, granted, two of your choices are very new. Two are a little a little bit older there, Scott. For Britain, I will say Jaguar E-Type. Uh, for Ooh. Germany, I would say Porsche 962. Uh, yes. I was thinking 917, but then I went 962 simply because there were so many of them that spread throughout the world and achieved so much success that that is, of all the models uh, for Porsche prototypes, that's the one that really just took them to the heights of everything, everywhere. For Japan, oh, that's a really good one. Hmm. I'll go American here with uh, the RX-7 used in IMSA GTU to just dominate the class by and large for, I think, almost the entire 1980s. As for USA, I mean, the GT40s. Cannibal. Cru- Cannibal. Yo. <laughs> <laughs> Super iconic. It's just it yeah. says
1: everything about
0: your nation. Uh, you know, well, if that's the case, then I'm going to go with the Doran GE4 Grand Am Daytona prototype um, just because it is, it's vehicular belligerence. Uh, ugly as sin, loud as hell, slow as a turtle, and yet we wanted to tell you that it was great, fast, and just the bestest of the bestest. So a winner of the Rolex 24 Daytona and, you know, all kinds of things. So, yeah, just because, you know, absurdities, my friend, I'm going to go with the Adorn J-E4 uh, vehicular belligerence. There we go. Uh, let's see. Joshua I Ponce. This
1: one. Yeah. I'll throw I this, at you. this
0: at you. I'll, th- I'll throw yep. this one. I like throwing things at you. I was a pitcher, by the way. Well, <laughs> let me qualify. Baseball pitcher. Yes. Many years of my life. Uh, yes. I was a lefty with... A lot of ball movement. Not, not, Go a, ahead and parse that one out. <laughs> uh, Joshua says, which race car concept program were you looking forward to seeing that never came to be?
1: Uh, I'm going to surprise you because it's going to be Delta Wing, but Delta Wing and IndyCar. Oh. I think that could have been really cool. Yeah. Brief but cool. But, uh, Boy. But uh, I think that could have fun.
0: Think about what that could have done to revolutionize things there. Um, Yeah, that's a great call. Uh, Can I also just insert here that looking at Twitter, I realize that we have a hashtag free Britney uh, thing going on at the moment, and it's all related to Britney Spears. Um, Yeah, just wanted to get you up to speed here. Very important stuff, Graham Goodwin. So uh, clearly you have not been uh, paying attention. Um, Let's see. Jeremy Charette, I wanted to read this one because I only just got a clue as to what it is, having been stumped for about a week since you sent it in. Jeremy says, the floor is lava. You each get to pick teams of three drivers to go head-to-head. The most drivers to the exit wins. Or in the case of a tie. The team that does it fastest takes the lava lamp home. Bonus points for picking the three drivers most likely to fail because, let's be honest, that's what we really want to see. I just... Learned that the floor's is lava is some sort of action-based. It's a Netflix thing show, is. yeah. I think where the floor isn't actually lava, which would be it. I mean, that would be a real. That'd be something worth tuning in for. But watch that. no, it's just some <laughs> form of red liquid, I guess. And you, if you fall into it, you air quote melt or something. And you have to, it's obstacle courses and people jumping on stuff and bonking their heads. And but who knows what they're bleeding because they fall into a floor into a floor full of red liquid. Um, have you seen this? Right. I have so, no idea what the hell it is. I genuinely saw 12 seconds of it while my I, wife I, I and a, I were.
1: I saw a trailer.
0: Okay. So you're the expert between the two of us. This <laughs> is yours.
1: <the> <laughs> so three drivers we think we'd like to see hurt, I think is basically what it comes down to. Yes. Well, there's one obvious, there's one obvious man. And, and uh, we have a stink for that, don't we? We do. Hammers for you, hammers for me, hammers for everyone. Christoph Boucher's Hammer Emporium.
0: And we're back. So, but, uh, I mean, be, but would he, he be allowed to use hammers in this? That's the question.
1: Well, I think I think he, he would be duty-bound by his own commercial restrictions our, to be able to do that. Our so sponsorship see, agreement
0: I, with him, I think, demands use of, of hammers.
1: Absolutely. So, two others. Um, Alan McNish, um, for no other reason than he's only got little legs, and any kind of jump is going to be more challenging for him and therefore more amusing. He'd be out immediately. Of yeah. And Harry Tinknell, because he's got longer legs, he'd probably do better than Alan, which would really annoy Alan. So, I think that's what we'll go for. Tinknell, Bushu and McNish. That, right there, what a sports god dream team that is.
0: Harry, London Bridges, not falling down, Tinknell, that Alan McNish could walk over. Granted, he's already his manager, so we know for a fact he's been walking all over the poor bastard for a long time.
1: Makes it it funnier still. And by the way, congratulations to both of them for uh, what was announced last week, which is a multi-year, multi-matic deal for Harry Tinknell which is great news, bearing in mind the Multimatics restructuring and their new SVO. Uh, So let's wait and see, hashtag let's see, uh, to what comes out for Harry in what I hope is going to be a long career. Obviously, McNish's career is all over now.
0: Yeah, and now he's just taken to stealing from young countrymen. Uh, Sad, but not a surprise. I mean, this guy truly, he just sucks at life. But, you know, what else is new? uh i'm just i'm just enjoying reading questions here you know i don't know if i've got much right. to say uh ryan terpstra um and i know i just skipped over dennis uh Proknyak's, but you know we'll come back uh ryan terpstra do we know who invented sausage curbs i'd like to cover his driveway with them they may or may not have had an impact on my virtual Le Mans 24-hour race any clue graham if the inventor is the same person who made those red sausages that Acted like a concrete bowling ball in my uh, digestive system.
1: I think if you you put one of those sausage curbs uh, in a bun, they'd probably be chewier. Uh, I'm going to blame Herman Tilke. Uh, Yes, I'm going to blame Herman Tilker because I think he deserves to be blamed for just about everything.
0: Cruel, cruel man who hates racing. Did
1: design them, but they are terrible, terrible things.
0: (sighs) Dennis says, if you were to reintroduce reverse circuit racing, then why wouldn't you? In a modern endurance format, which track and which class of cars would you choose for the inaugural event? Which drivers would you choose to represent the Pruitt Goodwin racing team in that event?
1: Well, here's a weird thing. I'm trying to think who it was. Uh, Oh, it's Tim Sugden in a piece yet to be published on Daily Sports Car was talking about testing the BRM World Sports Car. Uh, not just testing, but racing that car. And he raced it at a circuit. He said, yeah, but back then, and bearing in mind, this is less than 20 years ago, they used to race, in certain name of circuit, in the opposite direction. That circuit was Misano. So that, in the modern era, has had the direction reversed. I know that's not quite the question here. Um, Amongst other modern circuits that used to be raced in the opposite direction, Brands Hatch is another one. In its earlier iterations, that used to be raced in the opposite direction, in a slightly more train-spottery type um, uh, thing here. When In the last days of the Spa-Francorchamps circuit, in its modern iteration being public roads, as I recall, the radion eau rouge section of roadway was one way but the opposite direction. You used to come down that road and not up it.
0: Wow. I think that's right. I'm going to throw in here Uh, Bathurst. Uh, as I recall going up it once in a Holden, Holden, I think something or other with a big V8 uh, with none other oh, than Marino oh. Franchitti as my pilot. Oh. I just seemed, again, I've watched the zillion races there, but just the act of going up the mountain seemed to recall there. there's a lot more going up than going down going the correct way. So I think it would actually be a blast to go the opposite direction up Conrad straight in granted. I think a lot of cars might stall having to stop and hang a really hard right, uh, to go up the hill there. But it just seems like if you were to go reverse direction at Bathurst, the, what is in the normal direction, downhill, uh, fairly steep and rapid, that would probably be slow and not too exciting. But once you start to crest the hill and head downward, yeah, there's just a part of me that thinks, boy, that might be an cra- even crazier roller coaster uh, than what we have in the normal direction. So I don't know. Could that, be wrong, that, but it that, sounds that's like
1: that's, fun. That's, because, of course, when the circuit is open to the public, which it is for most of the year, that is a one-way road, isn't it? It's, you can't even drive it in public use in the opposite direction i'm pretty certain it's a one-way street my first time by the way around that uh, circuit was in a bentley flying spur <laughs> um solo the, the one the biggest saloon cars you can possibly mean, it's a 200 mile an hour saloon car and that is a big piece of metal let me tell you and that circuit felt very narrow in that car all i'm I saying pushing is on very hard at all.
0: whatever you're earning a daily sports car when you're booking your your, <laughs> your rental cars your hire cars could when i get i better step up my game cuz yeah i'm on you know a kia sorento feels like luxury so uh whew, boy all right uh Just you want to change
1: th- the dsc fun bus and i can tell you this, you want it
0: well, I don't know what you just said, but I heard DSC Fun Bus, so that was awesome. Um, all right. Do you want to take, uh, where should we go? Do you want to take right turn lovers next, or where should we go?
1: A right turn lover. Yep. Due to a typo, the ACO, when attempting to grandfather LMP1, for Lamont Hypercar, have actually grandfathered all previous top class regulations. Which manufacturer structure picks up on which previously historic rules package uh which one is most likely to win at Le Mans in 2021. Mm. I'm going to go for Koenigsegg and Koenigsegg with the uh, astonishing road going V8 engines go for just the old LMP um 675 rules I think so a ridiculously light ridiculously overpowered um sports car uh, which, frankly, has got so much power that if it didn't have such effective aero, it would wheel all the way down the Unordier. Uh, so Koenigsegg for me to win Le Mans with an LMP 675.
0: Wow, the crow agrees, which is even better. Um, the only, I think, downside to that is the Koenigsegg would be pitting every three laps for fuel because at those <laughs> speeds, uh, the, the, the flow rate, and it would actually only finish about, 5 hours because they would run out of their comp- their total fuel allocation for the event but I do like yeah. that idea. Uh boy. I would say You're going to be the sole person to answer this question. Next, we're going to Andrew Hyper. Uh, just a fun question. <laughs> Presuming that you've seen the images of the track-only Lamborghini. Lamborghini I was going to say Lamborghini. Maybe that's a, uh, a that's mash-up between the Marconi. Um, no, never mind. I'll leave that alone. Uh, assuming that you've seen images of the track-only Lamborghini Hypercar, would you love to see this racing at Le Mans in the Hypercar category? This, the Senna. From McLaren and the, well, the Aston Martin Valkyrie hypercars. That would have been amazing. Yes, would have been. Uh, would, would, a, would, would you have love have shut- to see it, Graham? Or do you, is, yeah, does your hatred yeah. extend to Lamborghini as well?
1: No, no, I think, I, I, yeah, I mean, I get it. I understand the, the. Let's face it, the rampant confusion caused in no small part by the rapid-fire machine gun volley that has been the rules that have changed. Uh, you know, seemingly with the four winds uh, down through the years. Of course, we'd like to see, you know, add in the Brabham BT62, add in the Koenigsegg, add in whatever the heck you like. Reality is that the prospects of that went away. Pretty quickly once you see the kind of numbers uh that were going to be required to build and run those cars. And as we saw with the Aston Martin Valkyrie programme, that simply the state of the parent company overwhelmed their ability to fund the program. So the answer is sounds like a really good idea, doesn't it? The reality for most of those track only hypercars is they are not endurance machines. They simply not. The seller, by the way, um, was built to GTE certification, the Senna GTR—that's uh, track-only hypercar. That right there, ladies and gentlemen, is as close as you're ever going to see to a McLaren Senna GTE car, because that's exactly what it was, uh, albeit with a couple of nips, tucks, and changes. That right there, boys and girls, was the proposed, uh McLaren GTE car. Evidence, as we've said before on the weekend sports cars, that when the car was unveiled. At the Geneva Motor Show, it had that one thing that you're not going to see on a track-only, track-day hypercar, and that is position lights.
0: There we go. Okay, I just had something really intelligent to say to you, but because I'm not very intelligent, I forgot. (laughs) (laughs) Oops. Oh, this is what it was um while i read the next question and i'll read it slowly why don't you unplug everything again because we're continuing to get yep. the frequent drop out
1: you read that question
0: but i'm going to do it while you're unplugging so you'll only hear part of yep. it which if is the dumb which, part
1: if you, if you if you tell me which one it is i can read it and you can
0: <laughs> okay. read it on
1: screen and you can read it out.
0: sra smoking puppy 841 Hey, listen to that. Due to a scheduling clash and a couple of dodgy pieces of paperwork, the 24 Hours of Le Mans has been relocated to the Tour de France's Champs-Élysées Finishing Circuit. Which team excels best on the cobblestones and wins an even more unusual edition of the race?
1: It's an easy one. It's obviously Glickenhaus because they wouldn't enter the 007.
0: They'd enter the boot. Race done. Maybe the boot towing the 007.
1: Ooh. See? Yes.
0: Maybe this is some sort of madcap trailer type (laughs) event as well. We've modified (laughs) it here. Uh, Let's see. We're going to go to Chris Ward. Says, you're starting a new single car IMSA GTD program. Two caveats. No platinum or gold drivers. And one bronze driver. Who are you two primary and one endurance driver? Chris says, hashtag me personally. I'm going with Madison Snow and Ben Keating full-time. And adding Aaron Tielitz for the Enduros. Thanks for all you guys do. Well, that's a timely one on Aaron Tielitz winning on his full-time debut. For aim vassar sullivan in the lexus rcf gt3 AA Ron, my man from wisconsin so that's a great call chris ward uh what thinks I'm gonna, you
1: i'm gonna give you a couple of well ben keating are for me the fastest is, is he bronze or silver now
0: ben i couldn't tell you
1: yeah i mean as a gentleman driver He fills the shoes of a number of names that we've played with in the past, Uh, you know, the likes of Simon Dolan. Um, You know, uh, it's for me, Ben Keating, hands down, the fastest gentleman driver out there right now. David Hyman, and another. In terms of some of the names that are out there at the moment are silvered, Ladies and gentlemen, I present uh, to you the likes of uh, Mikkel Jensen. Watch this young man. Okay, uh, was a BMW junior driver, left that program, will be part of the G-Drive setup this year. He is going to turn some heads. That young man will be a factory driver, mark my words. I think he is supremely talented. Uh, a completely different generation of driver, but has been given that opportunity through LMP3. We'll be back in LMP3 with United Autosports this year. Watch for Duncan Tappy. Uh, this year i think both of those would do a fabulous job in a gt car um uh they're two names i think to conjure with from the european season for 2020 there are way more we've got some very talented young and slightly older drivers uh across the the, uh across the the piece uh third name uh, for me and i hope you'll get to see him in the states at some point soon colin noble was chatting to a couple of people about young Colin uh, last week in fact, and a couple of programs we 'll be hearing about in the coming uh, coming months um, another vertically challenged scotsman guess that's a, that's that 's a sports car tradition that uh, has been held proudly um, and I think he is one of the quickest men in l m p three anywhere at the moment um, so quick. And uh, I know that one of the rival LMP3 manufacturers were not keen on him testing their car were it to be that he took something from that experience that he could actually help their rivals. Uh, But so we'll be seeing Colin back in competition, at least in LMP3 and possibly in something else uh, later this year. They're the three names I'll chuck into the mix. But yes, for me, you're absolutely right, Ben Keating. Certainly that opening stint at the next 24 hours this year, MP. What a stand-up performance that was.
0: Two to go here in FUN Spells Fun. Daniel Summersgill, Graham, you need to pick three drivers that have raced at Le Mans mm-hmm. since 2000, but not for the same team and put them in a car that raced prior to 2000. What drivers mm. and car do you select and why?
1: so so basically three awesome guys uh one awesome car the car
0: three modern drivers thrown into a pre-2000 car
1: well it's going to be a just pre-2000 car because it's a car that i think everybody that thinks about this car thinks there's a car that could have should have would have um and it's either going to be the Toyota gt1 or it's going to be the, the the car that holds its number uh, the one just before that the tso 20 was the gt1 the tso 10 which is the three and a half liter car or indeed the jaguar xjr 14 both of them 750 kilo 3.5 liter v10 uh, uh engined cars in the very last iteration of group c they would be the three cars why because they're all three of them cars that didn't win at le mans that um okay, there's some, some how can we put this, endurance issues about the 3.5-litre formula, but um, I'd love to see them scream again. The three drivers...
0: That was a 3.5-litre and and V8 for the Jag, by the way.
1: It was indeed, yes. Col- uh, Cosworth engine, I think, remember.
0: Indeed, I think, Cosworth remember F1, that yep.
1: And, and Ross Braun's last sports car, first first fully designed sports car, I think. Ross Braun designed that car. Yes, sir. Um, so... Let's go with. Well, Christensen never drove any of those three, so that would be pretty cool. Um, I'm going to go with Nick Manassian, a man I would love to have seen win Le Mans simply because he's just awesome. Um, They didn't drive together either, so we've got to pick a third person that didn't drive. In the same team together or didn't drive any of those cars. Gosh, this is complicated. Let's go for simply because he may not have the most engaging of personalities, but by God, he's quick. Kobiashi
0: Okay, no.
1: Kobayashi. Kobayashi, properly real world quick, um, as I say, would not be on very many people's list of ideal dinner party guests.
0: Dickishly fast.
1: Uh, Dickishly fast. I think actually it's getting better in terms of being able to speak to real people uh, lately. But uh, th- they're, they're three. There are so many. But um, I am a big fan of you know what ifs. What if we you know what if the have managed to tune into the Jaguar XJR fourteen, which by the way is one of my favourite cars ever. Um, what if they tuned into that car? Real endurance. They certainly did tune in endurance into the Toyota TSO ten. But uh, it just didn't have the look that went with it. So they're my three cars. They're the three drivers. But if you asked me to name nine, I could probably do it. Um, you said there's two more in front. I've only got one on my list, and that was Daniel's.
0: Well, I've got Steve Kowalczyk's. And I don't oh. know if we read it last week, but you know what? Yet another... Listener that you hate, yeah. that you want to just ignore, uh, but I'm not going to gonna let it stand this time. Sorry, Malcolm, yeah. I didn't stand up stronger things. for you uh, the first time. Uh, I'll read it and answer it, I guess. If given the opportunity to change one feature of any circuit in the world, streak it, street it, streak it, streak it circuits included, what to be? A corner, a chicane, elevation change, infrastructure, anything. Steve says, hashtag me personally. I've always wanted to see a bridge over Lake Lloyd incorporated into the Daytona road course. It's such a unique feature. It's a shame to waste it. I love your idea, Steve. So I'm just going to stick with it, but I'm going to modify it. No bridge, no underground tunnel or through water tunnel. We have a series of old school riverboat paddle type Barges, the cars drive on to the little barge at the edge of the, obviously the edge of the water there into what would be probably similar to what you've, if you've ever seen a, a chassis dyno where cars pull up their wheels drop doesn't sit on top of the roller, but the type that has that where it can just easily drop right in and spin the roller That's what we would have. So the cars would actually pull up and park and stop. And while applying the brake, we'd have a front brake, lock, or rear, depending on what end of the car was powered. But it would basically be a horsepower race. So paddle boats with the big, big spinny paddles um, spinning up. And it would actually be the drivers racing across Lake Lloyd. This would be every lap, by the way. It wouldn't just be once per mm. race. But yeah, an old school, old, old school riverboat style where they pull onto the barge and then just rev the hell out of their engines to get the uh, the wheels spinning on the boat and do their little boat dragster impression to get across the other side, uh, disconnect, and then keep going. I think, I mean, I think we got yeah. a winner here.
1: I think uh, they, I could even think of a
0: sponsor for it. I think Porsche should sponsor it. Then on the side of it, you could have ferry Porsche. Hey, there we go. I mean, we've got a problem solved. I don't know if there should be any provisions for those that might sink. You know, I mean, I haven't really thought it all the way through. Uh, I'm not too sure if drownings are things that maybe should be part of the official race record. So, you know, there might be reasons to not do this, but eh, you don't want to overthink these things, right? Uh, Speaking of not overthinking, we're going to finish the show here, Graham Goodwin with uh i mean it's your choice on which category we go to in theory we could go back to one we've already done and redo it Um, Um, but there's only one we haven't gotten to but what do you
1: think okay let's go for a head general all
0: right uh if i'm scrolling up from the bottom i see that lee tucker is the first do you want to uh grab some of these
1: Let's do it. Uh, potential benefits of BOP concept. This isn't specifically, says Lee, a sports car question, but it is related. After watching the Netflix series F1 Drive to Survive, infinitely improved, by the way, for not having Chris Medland on this time. Oh, jeez. Uh, thank goodness. Uh, oh, dear me. It's, 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 it's tragic.
0: My tragic. fingers what were what bleeding from thanks? the hate letters that I was sending, so I'm glad they <laughs> responded.
1: I've been watching the 2019 Formula One season. You have my sincere Regrets and condolences. Why are
0: you doing that to so softly?
1: Yeah, so far the races have been mostly boring. No, no, actually boring. Uh, as you're basically waiting to see which Mercedes is going to win, while the other teams like Williams are hopelessly stuck in the back. Would something like BOP work in series like F1, or is that just sacrilege? As much as we hate it, any other series where BOP might work, Marshall Pruitt.
0: Oh, well, where you go? Yeah. Throw me the BOP question. Wonder where we're going here. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's a thing, though, Lee, is there's always been a Mercedes up front and a Williams at back in F1 throughout the years. The team names change, but there's always the have everything and the have nothings. It's just the dynamic, and it's also a perfect representation of the real world. Uh, So, yeah, like in most sporting leagues, whether it's American football, your football, Graham, uh, there are teams that are great and there are teams that are anti-great, and that's just normal and natural. So Formula One being a meritocracy uh, based on who can find more money, hire better people, do a better job, I mean it's the same challenge for everyone with no rules in place to try and pull back the ones that are better or help the ones that suck. And yeah, it's it's beautiful. It's almost a rarity now. So trying to think of other series that might benefit from it. I I don't know of any series that actually benefits from BOP. Granted, we've shifted From a time, Graham, where folks watching races accepted this and were delighted to see when teams were achieving excellence over and over again. And, you know, just as most people don't complain when their favorite stick and ball sporting team is clobbering the hell out of everyone else in whatever series that might be. Hey, they've gone 10-2 and two so far in the season, and boy, they're just laying devastation everywhere they go. Um, we, for whatever reason, have lost touch of that a bit in racing, so I can't think of any Lee that would really benefit from this because I like it when teams do better than others and win because of that. Uh, Corvette, for example, just won their first race with the C8R in its second only event. Um, I would say that that team has done amazing things with that car in a very short amount of time. Uh, But I would hate to see the Corvettes continue to win because, say, IMSA does something to the BOP to advantage the C8Rs and disadvantage the 911 RSRs and the M8GTEs. Not like they would do it intentionally, but same thing going back to last year, Graham. Mazda won three in a row, their first ever wins in DPI in IMSA. It was awesome for them. It was great. Long overdue. I think most people are happy. Anyone who says it happened simply because Mazda did a better job would be lying. BOP was central to their rise and the decline of their rivals. Uh, so am I happy for them? Sure. Does it feel in my heart that, whoa, best team, best manufacturer, whatever won today? Uh, that's the thing that takes a little bit of shine and polish off of, uh, some wins just because, you know, for a fact, having looked at the BOP changes and then seeing them play out the exact way you expected that, yeah. <laughs> This is exactly what should happen. It's not so much racing, but Manifest Destiny uh, by Keystroke. So, yeah, I would say, Lee, any concept of where else could we apply the stain of BOP? Yeah, uh, I'm probably never going to be the guy who's saying, let's do it.
1: Let's move on uh, to one from Geronimo Lazos in general. Uh, it's a question to me, are taxis in Britain really like the ones displayed on television? <laughs> yes, they are. Are black cabs? Yes, they are. Uh, they are indeed um, unbranded cars. For Certainly in uh, in, in London, around the uh, rest of the UK, it's a bit more what we would call minicab. And uh, MP, uh, are cabs in the UA- USA really that hard to get as displayed on TV? In other words, I, I guess it's that... Uh, trying to whistle or raise your arm and being completely ignored. Is that true? Is it almost impossible to hail a cab?
0: Well, the stereotype is if you are a black person, it's very hard to get a cab. And if you're a white person like me, it's not. And so there's that. And that gets used on TV sometimes. I know it used to be a pretty common thing. Uh, I don't know. Because the last time that I hailed a cab might have been twenty years ago, so wow yeah i yeah, i don't know uh i've ne- here's oh. another little fact I've never hailed or used an Uber or a Lyft, and I'm quite proud this far yeah. into the corona virus to have never. Conducted a Zoom call slash teleconference with anyone. Wow, wow. So, yeah, there you go. Well, I, I,
1: I, I was right with you up until the Zoom stuff. I don't know. If- Fair map zoom and skype as we're talking via skype at the moment but uh no cabs not for a little wee while um i live out you know in the rather greener part on the fringes of london now but back in my the days up in 2013 where i was holding down a reasonably large day job then you know grabbing a london black cab was a regular occurrence not quite daily but certainly regular let's move on we've got another smattering um and I'm going to try and roll some of these in together, of DTM-based questions, which some of the theme. Doug Bonham, uh, Garen Batten, Pierre-Ren Ribot, uh, looking who else has actually got to, in here with some stuff there. Daniel Summersgill with something, Doogie Davis. Um, DTM. Um, variety of questions here uh, about whether or not it is sustainable to have uh, pro and factory-only uh competition at all, and in which case does the return on investment uh, go up or come down? Uh, Garen Batten asking whether or not the Aussie supercar model might work in DTM or even IMSA as a second GT type class. Um, what else have we got here? Uh, isn't it just... Uh, and got a minute. Nope. It's I think uh, Pierre Laurent might, uh,
0: might be a really good one. To, of all the ones you've mentioned, I think this one might be the most interested to exploriate
1: Okay, he says, feel that one important issue is not really addressed in the DTM debate. DTM is fundamentally a pure all-pro manufacturer championship brands competing against each other, like GT500, like LMGTE, the golden age of LMP1. Whatever the technical platform chosen, if OEMs do not embrace it, this key aspect will be lost. It will become yet another privateer series. A very good point. Is the impending demise of DTM not unlike the struggles of GTE a sign that the brand versus brand win on Sunday, sell on Monday type of racing is on the way out. That is an excellent question. Before you get stuck into this, because I think you should, I will say this. I've actually spoken over the last week to two current DTM team principals. Ernst Moser from Audi Team Phoenix and Vincent Voss from Team WRT, both Audi teams. Uh, we spoke at length, some of which was off the record, some of which is on the record about what they're looking at. And the answers to both those questions, by the way, are on Daily Sports Car and there will be a piece on Racer as well. What was very interesting to me about both those conversations, at no point did either of those two gentlemen mention in any way that they were even remotely engaged with whatever plan it is that DTM have got to continue. At no point was that raised as even a possibility. They're both looking at what else is available. So DTM for them, with or without Audi factory backing, and of course it's without factory backing after this year, is done. Okay. So that, for me, was a very important dividing line. It wasn't because I didn't ask. It wasn't because I was blocking that question. It simply never came up. They've got plans, and those plans don't include DTM. But uh, as for Pierre Laurent's uh, point, uh, MP, that's a point well made, isn't it?
0: I think it's the most salient of all of what is happening. What, yeah, what is happening, and and where we are likely headed with DTM, something that I've followed closely and with a lot of passion since early '90s. And you know, boy, what a What a proof of its value when we had Alfa Romeo, for example, uh, getting involved, a domestic championship within Europe, but again, a single European country having an Italian manufacturer come in. Again, I know it's not as if this means everything, but the power of DTM, the quality of the racing, the quality of the marketing and branding, when you have non-German brands coming in, saying hey we want to be here to race in front of your people. Of course the series has also moved around Europe a bit and done events at various venues outside of Germany but this is a thing that was super popular, super successful, manufacturer driven as Pierre Laurent mentions and all we've seen in recent years is a somewhat steady unpicking of this. Uh unstitching of it as Manufacture after manufacture has pulled out. And when you have a domestic series that was once super big and popular, I can, I, there are direct parallels to IndyCar here in the US, Graham, once where we had yep. five, six major automotive manufacturers uh, spending zillions of dollars. And now we're really thankful to have two and fearful that if one leaves, what's going to happen? Could it all collapse? I see the same parallel here in DTM. Manufacturer-based series, one-by-one one, manufacturers have said, yeah, we're, we're going to go. And I do wonder if this is just a signaling of this does need to move if it's going to continue out of a manufacturer mindset. The Pick the reasons why a Mercedes, a BMW, an Audi, etc. might go away whether it is changing technology, right? Hey, what we're doing there is fun, but it's no longer relevant. We're not going to sell any cars as a result of being in DTM anymore, or we just need to save money. This Corolla virus is kicking our butt. Name, again, a lot of different reasons why, but when you have a series with purely German manufacturers no longer seeing or stating a value and competing in their domestic series from a sporting heritage or pride standpoint or the underlying thing for all manufacturers selling cars when one of those couple of reasons are no longer there on a domestic front boy you you have to accept what you see the message they're sending is very simple we don't believe that spending a lot of money to race at home in front of you in this class in this formula in this era Fits our need, our objectives, our goals, and so we are not. If you have wholesale rejection from manufacturers in a manufacturer based series, trying to go and court others in other championships or open up the rules where manufacturers are playing somewhere else in the world and saying, well, we're going to allow that formula to run here. We've already kind of had that, right, with a link up in Japan. In theory, we could maybe try and entice some to come back uh, and invest heavily to race in Germany, but I don't know. Name the Japanese brand that would be bold enough to say, full-time Germany, that's where we're going to promote and race ourselves compared to our own domestic championship. I think, Graham, back uh, back to the question here from Pierre Laurent. It is a case of, love you, DTM, I hope we get to a place where manufacturers see value and want to jump back in, but if it's going to exist, it has to s r o assize itself and look at mm-hmm. some form of pro am model and I mean more pro driver amateur driver model, not pro manufacturer involvement and just privateers, I'm not saying they should close themselves off to manufacturers but trying to revive or resuscitate or keep this patient alive as a a pro series, uh, that's going to lead to its immediate demise. So I think, although you and I have said I don't know if it adds any value to the market since it's already flooded, maybe a GT3, GT4 kind of thing, you know, pro-am thing, uh, maybe that's what they do okay. just to give themselves something to do.
1: Yeah, I think the, the the problem, and it's not unique to DTM, but it has been a kind of global issue, is there's a bit of a history of race championship organisers getting a little bit addicted to the kind of money that comes with a manufacturer programme or two or three, and then getting ahead of themselves with that. And then extravagance comes in, and then excess comes in. And then when that money goes away, they've actually lost the network with the professional race teams and the privateer contenders um, that actually are providing probably the numbers behind that effort. So I just think DTM have just got it wrong. They've called it wrong. They've called it late. They uh, had too much confidence in their ability to weather a storm and then COVID has just absolutely blasted them off the face of the earth. Um, I think you'd be lucky to see anything of a plan emerging for the a wreckage of this one and if you do see something emerging for the plan then it's got to happen very very soon indeed because those weeks are taking by and we are hearing absolutely nothing and certainly not anything in any way sustainable if they were going to do gt3 Marshall, here's what i'd give you in response i'd have thought by now that van Voss and wrt would be pretty and for that matter phoenix would be pretty close to the top of the list none of those teams have said anything to me about uh, them being interested in doing another GT3 G- championship when they're already involved in one, two, three, four themselves.
0: All right. So I think I look- it's
1: done, is the straight answer there.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm looking at the good old clock here, Graham, and mm. we don't have a ton of time left, unfortunately, so I know okay. we wanted to try to get to all, but... We do both have things we need to go do. So why don't I jump around a little bit with the remaining hegeneral yeah. questions. Uh, Ian Keyworth, third time you've sent this in. With the looming factor withdrawals on both sides of the pond, maybe it's time to create a global GT championship where individual events from SRO, IMSA, WEC, Super GT, et cetera, have weighted coefficients um, uh, where a small GT race model maybe has... Lower reckoning in the points, bigger one like Lamar, Mans, more uh, calculated to an overall champion driver and manufacturer. Uh, it says basic model is per the old nineteen nineties European Rally Championship, uh, etc. Um, yep. Yeah, yeah. I...
1: It's not. A, it's not a million miles short of what we've got with IGTC because remember the Intercontinental GT Challenge, the SRO promoted global championship, uh, and we'll come to World Challenge shortly in this in this this answer. It is effectively five separate events. It's not a championship in its own right. Bathurst 12-hour is a separate event. Uh, the Spa 24-hours is a separate event, is actually part of GT World Challenge Europe, uh, the Endurance Cup there. The Suzuka race is a separate event. They've all got their different promoters, um, Different rule sets, albeit that they accommodate exactly what IGTC requires. So it's not a million billion miles away from it, including, by the way, the fact that the Suzuka race accommodates not just the GT3 cars, but GT300 cars as well. They've not had very many takers, but they do accommodate them. And we have had those cars in there. So it's sort of there. I kind of quite like the idea. Um, I don't think SRO are the ones that will be doing it because they've got vested interests in their own Uh, classes Uh, but i do think we're at a stage now where the inevitability is we're going to be looking at some form of transition um to global gt racing being based around the gt3 formula Um, what needs now to be considered is how do you manage that over what time scale and what do you do about budgets there too because they're not cheap and if that's your way in then you need to think about whether or not that's accessible. Here's the reality now, and it's remarkable that uh, the kind of budgets we're talking about, about GT3 for the very biggest series that run them, are equivalent to or more than LMP2. That's a reality. Uh, and think about that for a moment in terms of the lap times at Le Mans, for instance, those LMP2s are capable of, sub 330 uh, before we get to LMDH and the new. Uh, iteration of LMP2 so they're the things now I think we're, we're not a million miles away from what you're looking for I don't think we're going to see terribly much by way of a come one come all I think it's going to be GT3 or whatever replaces GT3 will be the thing I think we're now looking for what has got to happen about transitioning to that point whether or not you know we've got a new rule set that may or may not include some form of electrification or whatever Um, But that's going to be it. Um, There will, I think, still be those quirky things in the background. I hope we still carry on with GT300. I think it's awesome. Uh, In Japan, it would be nice to think that those cars could race elsewhere as well. There might be an opportunity um, in some race series for that to happen. But uh, I think there's a ticking clock. I think everybody's aware there's a ticking clock. It's a really rough time for us to have hit the... Uh, economic buffers imposed by COVID 19, because I think if we hadn't, we might have seen more progress on that front.
0: Forgot to mention here, and I feel bad for failing to mention this earlier in the show, Graham. Very important news that could shape uh, the future of sports car racing in the United States. Kanye West has announced that he is running for president. Yeah. Kim yeah. Kardashian, potential to be First Lady of the United States. I don't know where that places former IMSA and Trans-Am driver Bruce Jenner known as Caitlyn Jenner yep. today we could potentially have a former National Security American, Advisor yes American sports car driver I don't know yeah fifth or sixth in the line uh family-wise of being in the White House so very important we'll yep. uh, maybe discuss that Press. in the the next Press proper secretary. yes proper episode uh Jerry Sutter Due to the new financial realities brought on by COVID-19, is this the Trans Am Series best opportunity to threaten IMSA and SRO America? Of uh, threaten's an interesting word, Jerry. What's going on with this series, which is owned by Tony Perella? There is a bigger initiative going on right now that makes me think, while the timing is perfect, as you note, know, it might not be the right time for them to try and make such a push. And that's because they've just taken on the SCCA pro racing uh, organizations. Uh, I'm just going to call it American formula three and American formula four. So they've added these two junior open wheel feeder series to their expanding plate of options uh, in series that they look after, Trans Am being one of them, obviously. Now these two open wheel series, they also the main entity that Tony own started, uh, SVRA, uh, Vintage Racing League. So what you have in development right now, Jerry, which I think might overshadow the ability to specifically target Trans Am's growth to threaten the series you mentioned, is you're trying to grow the their footprint and offerings as a sanctioning body as a whole. Becoming more, becoming bigger, becoming a big traveling road show. And so I think once that is up and running, then yeah, maybe this could be a thing that could take a little bit of a marketplace away from an IMSA or SRO. Greatest challenge though right now is what did we do last night here in America? we turned on NBC Sports Network and watched IMSA uh, live on the 4th of July to close the evening. Uh, Trans Am, you are able to watch that on Facebook and I know that there are other tune-in options that you have, but if we're just talking how the average race fan would connect, it's not something that's readily available or as I think the awareness of how to consume trans am content, it's just nowhere near where an IMSA happens to be SRO Americas. I'm not really getting into that because they're just in a very different place where they're not really trying to be big and powerful and TV package and fans. That's just, they've changed their mission statement. Um, So I think that the quality of the trans am racing, yes, could be a threat, but while they're doing this expansion and, and retooling to become a, a bigger show and also while lacking a major television partner to put them in front of a lot of people, these are two things where timing's perfect, as you mentioned, Jerry. Just don't see how they get there. Uh, all right, I'm going to grab a couple more here. i um, got another really obscure one from Jacob Bame. Um, I don't know I, we already got one real obscure one. Uh, we're, maybe we'll just limit that. Uh, throw this one back in, Jacob, if you want on uh, Black Falcons pull out and uh, and whatnot. Um, just trying to find the answers.
1: It. Yes, by the way, they have there are there are replacements available for them, Jacob. So don't worry too much about that.
0: Okay, we'll see. There we go. Uh, not asked, but answered. Um, hey, we've got a use of my one of my favorite hashtags that I happen to come up with hashtag b o Um, that coming in from Dennis Prokniak again, um, you know, maybe, maybe we close here with Dennis yet again. And he used a lot of all cap stuff. So, you know, anytime you get aggro, which I mentioned, I kind of like, um, let's close here. It might take me longer to read the question than it will for you to answer Graham. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh <laughs> this is all caps. Hashtag resubmitting again. How dare you? Hashtag GT per- pervergence. Hashtag ACO hashtag IMSA uh, Love you, Dennis. How viable is GT three long term, Graham? And isn't it just too expensive for what it is? Is there a chance for something more raw and yet more privateer friendly cost wise? To replace GTE and perhaps GT three? Or is it all too far gone with a stranglehold of large OEMs and GT racing and $200,000 Evo upgrade kits that are somehow a necessity in BOP-ruled racing? Hashtag me personally. Other problems with GT3 racing include. I'll I'll stop there and let you get to that part because there's a whole lot more to this.
1: I, I think the answer is it may be too far gone, but, and it's a big but, um, that's enough about Kim Kardashian. And you cannot lie. Um, the I can't lie. Oh, damn. That's it. That's my, uh, that's my USP gone. So, um, I think it is too far gone. GT2 sort of fills that gap, sort of, kind of, but they're certainly not cheap cars. I I think we may have missed the boat with, well, what you're suggesting There, I think is, is perfectly sensible, I think we may have missed the boat here. I think the opportunity was there with the last crack at GT convergence to come up with a kind of pro-based formula and a more dumbed-down, more cost-effective professional but amateur um, formula based on the same uh, platform. But uh, that seems at the moment not to be there the problem is the scalability right now in gt racing if you look at the facilities that the major manufacturers involved here look at porsche look at audi look at mercedes amg um, even some of the more boutique manufacturers like mclaren aston martin you know the, the scalability of this means that these are just expensive cars to build they're expensive cars to run They're very expensive cars to support, particularly if you're supporting uh, those manufacturers globally, which is, of course, what all those customer racing operations attempt to do. And you're then into holding millions and millions of dollars or pounds or euros worth of spares and having a massive logistics effort behind making sure that your customers, wherever they are, whenever they are, can get that body panel, that gearbox, that widget, whatever it is, uh, delivered to the circuit should they need it. Uh, So I do think the moment may have gone. I'll say again, I think we're going to have to, all of us, get used to the fact that unless we're extremely lucky we're going to be looking at smaller grids across the board. Maybe maybe not hugely smaller grids, maybe 10% down, maybe 20% down on some of the series that we know. There will be some casualties with some of those series. I can guarantee you that. Maybe not this year, but certainly next year. DTM stand up, uh, but they won't be the only ones. Um, But uh, there's part of me that just thinks, while they've been reeling from dealing with what we've all been dealing with, there's a moment been missed here by motorsport globally. That, unless someone turns around and tells me I'm wrong, and all this has been going in the background, you're wrong. That the gap is, yeah, thank you. Uh, they, you're not, they're not; they've not filled some of that time with addressing the very big questions that you are, dear listeners and questioners, and we, your humble servants, on the weekend sports cars. Uh, address every single week and there are very literally now very many more questions and answers about the future of global motorsport and, and some of the questions we've answered here mp and general get to the heart of it don't they what is the future for professional um, factory-backed motorsports who is going to step up and do that how sustainable is that going to be over multiple series and multiple forms of racing is it now the time to re cast is it now the time to draw together some of those sanctioning bodies and get people to think about sustainability a little bit more and i mean that in two ways by the way sustainability of the business model and sustainability in terms of the technological uh, challenges that are now facing the automotive industry they are the big questions right now and i'd like to see the very big organizations involved here not just the people coming out and doing a 25 30 35 car grid 10 times a year. But the FIA, NASCAR, all the other big bodies that that control a a big chunk of what we all look to, in some cases for entertainment, other cases for employment, and come up with something that I'm afraid is sadly lacking in so very many areas of life at the moment. It's a word I know you've not heard much about the United States. Certainly we haven't heard much about it in the UK of late. Hashtag political point coming. A plan. You know, a plan and a strategy and tactics to get you down the road of that plan. Bored with slogans, want to see actions, and I would be heartily in support of anybody that stood uh, took took a step forward, put their hand in the air, and said, "I'd like to lead that uh, that as a way forward for our sport, for our business, for our industry, because we need it." That's that's my answer for it. Is that us done for the week?
0: It is. It we're we're done. Uh, granted, we could probably go another forty five minutes to try and get to the rest of the Heganls. <laughs> but we're not. We actually've gone eleven minutes longer than intended. So if we did not get to your question in the episode dedicated to not getting to your questions, <laughs> please send them in again. <laughs> and we'll do our best. And yeah, well, but here's the thing. And it said with a smile and, in the most positive of, of, of tones. It's what an amazing air quote problem to have. I mean, I, I, yeah, just really thankful, truly thankful to our listeners who flood us with questions from the really obscure, but you can do better, Jacob, uh, to the really fun, to the, just all over the place, so thankful graham for the fact that uh more often than not we could be doing two shows per week oh, yes. uh just Easily. because of the volume of questions and if we don't get to yours it's not because we don't love well it's not because i don't love you you know i do graham just a black heart so just you know why uh the, your if your questions aren't read just know who's at fault um but kidding aside We could do two of these a week, maybe even three if we were silly, but life intervenes. Nonetheless, thank you for giving us so many opportunities to have fun and to try and help you and to entertain you. Um, Thanks, Graham. You usually take us home. I don't even know if I said thank you to our benefactors to open the show. I don't think I did. So maybe you need to say them twice on the way out.
1: I, I I will indeed do that. Thank you again to everybody. As the sun goes down here and the Husky's reminding me that I'm recording this in his bedroom, so he's looking at me in a funny way. Uh, Sun goes down on the outskirts of London here in the UK. And as we start to load the new DSC fun bus, ready for getting away uh, into the European season that's about to restart. Thank you to you, Marsha Pruitt, for once again. Uh, making the time and a busy, busy, busy life and a very busy weekend uh, to get this second show around. Thank you so much to our listeners uh, for putting in those questions and being patient with us, getting to them. But most of all, thank you to Cooper Tires, Cooper Tires for uh, their continued backing. Thank you to the Justice Brothers, Justice Brothers uh, for being as awesome as they always are. Thank you very much indeed to Bell Helmets USA, Bell Helmets USA, and to Torontomosports.com, uh for their backing for the weekend sports cars, the Marshall Prit Podcast. You've been awesome. I've been Graham, He's been Marshall. We'll see you next week.